0: Like, we should, maybe that could be like a fun way to begin. It's like, yeah. this episode of Scholars at Play is brought to you by now, nah, y'all. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> we have no money.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: what
2: does our theme music sound like? Why,
3: why
0: is
2: this? <laughs> Okay. Well, oh my that's... god, we're we all in a cappella troupe? Stand? I mean, like, last time, kind of every time, yeah. we do a little bit of a cappella. Okay. Derek, we my least favorite art you. form. Wow, lots of a cappella hate coming I, here from that. We really do have a lot of a cappella hate. It's, it's maybe unfounded. But... Acapella from the Latin for without goodness.
1: Yeah. For those of you who don't speak Latin. I speak Latin, no. trust me, I'm really smart.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scholars at Play, a podcast dedicated to the critical discussion of games and their place in society and the academy. I am Derek Price. I'm Terrell Taylor. Kyle Romero, and oh, sorry, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we already messed up. Already stepping on already so I'm so sorry. I, I the person who I interrupted so rudely is our special guest for the for the day. Max Baum Baumkul? Baumkel Baumkel. Okay, we probably yeah. should have clarified that. Before. I'm inclined to do it, over Germanize it, but oh, yeah. it is German. It is I mean, German for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so Max is also a, a graduate student here at Vanderbilt for now. For now, yeah. Uh, Max, uh, would you? <laughs> that quit- sounded really dark. <laughs> <laughs> We're not gonna kill Max. No want yeah, to put just that be out clear. there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Max, uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and just tell us a little bit about your interest in games and just what Uh, what you're doing? Yeah,
2: so um, I'm a current Ph.D. uh, in English um, or I guess Ph.D. student in English and soon to be a Master's in Social Work student. Um, And I don't know, I just love Twine games. Um, I got introduced to them through non-gaming avenues. Um, So I followed uh, Merritt Copas and other people who make twine games like Ananthropy um, and Porpetine, um for like artistic, um, intellectual, and political reasons. Um, and I saw that they made games, and I was like, what are these weird things? I kind of hate video <laughs> games, but I'll check it out. Um, and I did, and because I love literature, um and because I, I love a good story, I was really pulled into Twine games. And then I taught it in my class for two semesters. Oh, that's, um, that's really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and so I had a great experience with that. And so now I'm a huge advocate for Twine specifically um, as okay. a, a wonderful medium for, for creating and thinking. Absolutely. That's
3: fantastic. I actually had no idea you got, you had the chance to t- teach you guys mm-hmm. have so much freedom in the English department to sort yeah. of pick. You're just free birds, yeah, flying just like on the with wind. no restrictions, right? There's just no limitations <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. Now, um, we're really happy to have you here, and of course, uh, today we're going to be talking about some Twine games. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Twine, it which is a, was me, right? Before. I mean, that's certainly. I mean, honestly, I'd, I'd heard of them, but I'd never really like, like, played them or, or like investigated them at all.
0: Yeah, definitely introduction for for a number of us here. I think we might all. Uh, the regular, the regulars here yeah. <laughs> uh, are ashamedly too into the AAA scene. So yeah, this is a good break yeah. to try and open up horizons a bit. It was. It
3: actually, it really was. Um, so there's there sort of these. Uh, it's like a twine is a tool for creating sort of hypertext fiction. And uh, I think I'm just gonna like totally cite Merrick Copas, uh, uh definition in the book because I think it's really good. And she says, which uh, the book's name is. Oh, the book is called Video Games for Humans, and this came out in 2015. That, of course, will be one of the things we're talking about today. Um, but anyway, she says in, in the in the text that um, Twine is a tool for creating hypertexts, collections of passages joined by links. A typical Twine story looks like a textual web page, and the player generally advances through it by clicking textual hyperlinks. So it's very simple. Uh, it plays on the logic of hyper hypertext, which has been around since the 90s, of course, with the, the invention, even before the Internet. And uh, it's really – they're really fascinating. So um, – Today we're going to be looking at, of course, Merit uh book, which is really a, an anthology or an, an edited, edited volume, volume of of different, of not only of a collection of games uh, made on made with Twine, but also um, a series of like playthroughs and essays about the games by both the creators and and like other critics and and people who are interested in working on Twine or just sort of you know in that active in that community. So um, that's one thing we're going to be taking a look at today. Um, we're also going to be we're going to be looking at three specific twine games. Uh, one is called Eden, and that's by Gaming Pixie. Uh, the, another one is called Even Cowgirls Bleed. This is by Christina Love, and then the final one we may not do them in this order, but is called Sabbat, uh, and that is Ava Problems uh, game. So uh, that's that's our oh I almost missed it. Our, we will touch on it at the very end. Uh, this, so today is. May twentieth, correct? Yes. yes Today is, is May twentieth, um, and a little while ago, I think this is in um, end of in end of April. April uh, Ian Bogost, uh, very uh, obviously a very well known game studies uh, person at Georgia Institute of Technology, who writes for the Atlantic regularly, posted a story called "Video Games Are Better Without Stories," um, and this was a sort of this caused a huge stir online, rightfully so because of that provocative title. But we're going to sort of touch on that at the very end. Uh, we thought it might be really interesting to sort of bring in that very different perspective on what games are supposed to be and what role narrative plays in there. Um, so, yeah, I thought we could just get started with uh, sort of looking at Merritt Copas' introduction to to this anthology and just sort of uh, go through it and see, you know, uh, what is what is she setting up here? Um, how is she describing Twine and, and their relationship? You know, how Twine functions and in, in a broader context. And uh, what did you guys take away from that intro? I'm just kind of curious. So the interesting thing
1: for me was uh, Copas uh, echoed my thoughts in like the first two pages, which is the first referent most people get for Twine Games is the old style, like choose your own adventure novels, right? Which I was super into as a kid. And I think she rightfully points out like these were always geared towards adolescence, right? And so it was not ever... It was never meant for adults, it was never meant as serious fiction, it was never meant as a kind of serious take on a on a medium. Um I was super into them, but that's not the point. Right, sure. Um but that Twine does something different, which is it's a choose your own adventure that's done digitally rather than analog. So mm-hmm. in a choose your own adventure book, you could piece through it whenever you want. If you say like, oh shit, I didn't want to take that potion, I'm gonna go back to, you know, page sixty and just like swipe through, you know. There was nothing stopping you from doing that. Whereas the kind of digitality, I, I feel terrible for
0: that.
1: Man. The digitalness. <laughs> Digitized nature. The, okay. Wow, those are all bad. Yeah. Don't, I, don't, we,
3: I don't even, is there a good the one? The digitalizacity. Wow, <laughs> uh, <is>, okay.
1: <laughs> see, we don't create terms in history. We just steal that? terms from English people that create terms. <laughs> the digital. <laughs>
3: within my discipline. The digital quality of yeah.
1: them. The digital quality of them um, also bad, makes it a completely different kind of venture. And that uh, the the way the by obscuring op- opportunity and by obscuring like um, your ability to go backwards and proceed from a point where you didn't want to, you are more, uh, I guess, involved in the gaming uh, platform. So that was an interesting take. Yeah, on
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, for me, uh, I really liked the sort of way that Copas sets the whole book up with sort of like talking. I mean, like. Uh, this some people don't like this kind of move. I liked it in this context of just sort of talking about her relationship to Twine and how she came to it. Uh, I, I, I guess she was also in graduate school at some point, so it was just like it was just like a moment. Where I was like, nice, cool. I, I feel you. <laughs> and it, she um, seemed
1: to have a very like sense of like I can't believe I'm writing this. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Twine games changed my life, and she was like, I'm serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I wrote that. Yeah. You
3: know? <laughs> it's 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 so hard to like communicate that without sounding sort of cheesy, but I I, yep. I think she she managed to do that. But um, for me, one of the interesting things that she highlighted with this, with this introduction is just, like, the, like, what are the, like, what are the benefits of this sort of platform or tool? And, like, a big part of that is the accessibility of it in just, like, so many different kinds of ways. So um, there's, you know, obviously they run pretty much on any browser that can read HTML. So it's very – if you have a computer or a phone, you can basically uh, use this – play these games – um, they're, they're not, there's no need for sort of like, comp, there's no complicated control schemes or like, you don't need to be familiar with a controller or using your keyboard in a pre- like specific kind of way with your fingers on the WASD and all that stuff doesn't require twitch reflexes or anything like that. Although timing is important for one of them that we played for Eden, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, but it's also just really easy to make them. And, and like those three different like ways in which they're accessible, sort of like it, it was just sort of like an, oh, yeah, of course, moment for me, but just something I hadn't thought about. It's like, oh, this is actually, this allows so many more people to sort of uh, take part. So that was a really cool thing for me that I took away from the intro. But
0: um. So um, the thing that resonated me, with me most from the introduction was the way that Copus situates Twine as a way to resolve some of the habits she picks up from academic seriousness. Yeah. That academic writing kind of felt that it had to look a certain way or that it had to uh, tackle topics with a certain level of critical distance, that even when you're talking about something that's personal to you, that talking had to look um, or that speech had to be regulated in a certain way. Yeah, And there wasn't really space for a self that wasn't even sort of the kind of authorial position of writing a paper, but someone who has preferences or, you know, is a sort of flesh and blood person that has likes and, you know, smiles at particular things, likes the rain, maybe hates the sun, that sort of personal, um, I guess, human quality uh, to writing or to thinking about things is what went missing Mm -hmm. in the academic process. And that twine was a way for her to recapture that, that, Was um what stood out to me most? Yeah, for sure. Um. And and I, I yeah, Max. Or?
2: Oh yeah, sure. Um. So I mean, uh, I think that the things I want to gesture to, um are a little maybe more artistic. Um, sure. and those are the aspects that stand out to me with Twine, um, and one of those things is the the kinds of aesthetics that are involved in Twine games. So I know, I mean, we'll get to this later, but mm-hmm. in the in the Bogus article, he talks a lot about three dimensional spaces and three dimensional gaming, um, and these games are not three dimensional. Um, they they don't offer that, um, but instead they offer uh, a really fascinating sort of like. I don't know, 2D aesthetics um, that I think can pull you in in ways that you don't normally think about aesthetics or digital aesthetics working. Um, And I, like, appreciate um, the space to make 2D art interactive and engaging. Um, And the other thing I want to gesture toward is, um, I guess this is going back to what Kyle said in the beginning, the literary nature of Twine Games. Um, And when I was teaching this, actually, um, something that I, I used Twine to have my students think about was the choices that go into writing a narrative, whether that narrative is an argumentative narrative or whether that narrative is a story-driven narrative. Um, and something that I think that Twine does that's really incredible um, is allowing us to think about how the choices that we make in narrative are important and also how um, narrative is a uh, An embodied form, um, and how our sort of like bodies and consciousnesses um, go into like go into writing and go into world building. Um, And I think maybe it's less, maybe or maybe it's more explicit than than. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a huge gamer, but maybe it's more Mm -hmm. explicit um, because it's so bare bones than Mm -hmm. than other forms of like immersive games where you really Mm -hmm. have to like look at the fact that you are like participating very actively in the construction, in this narrative, A or B, mm-hmm. um, like whatever you choose or something.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And actually, something we can talk about later too, which is something we, we seem to say a lot on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but that really distress. kind of stuck with me was that because of the kind of the, like you said, bare bones nature of the games, a lot of the work that most other video games do to be like, this is who you are, these are kind of your motivations, um, was, was not there. And it made me confront this kind of thing I don't like confronting, but I probably should, which is me as a person and me as the character in the game. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of the games, especially for Eden, I tried to play as if I was myself and I that was not fun.
0: <laughs> I was like,
1: I don't really want to think about these moral choices. And like I'm like, that's not the point of this. But if I would, you know, if it had been a video game, they would have been like, You're this character, probably a guy. And mm-hmm. um, because you know video games, right? Um, and this is kind of your motivation for going into the lab in the morning. But instead, mm-hmm. because that wasn't there, I was kind of like, "Oh God, I don't. Is this a person? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a human? I don't know." You yeah. know. So I like that. That it made me kind of confront something that I hadn't really thought a lot about when I play most games. Is you're where you're um, forced in, not forced. You're given a perspective, and so you can adopt that or not adopt that. But you're uh, given that choice as opposed to um, you know avoid. Right.
2: Right. And I mean, I think. That in um, in these games, I mean these games all come with a degree of levity. I mean, they're pretty funny games yeah. for the most right. part. Yeah. Um but there are twine games that are very serious um and about depression, um, or I mean, there's games that are about um like sexuality. Um and you know, I think I think that it these games allow something um which is, you know, it sort of like forces forces people who wouldn't otherwise have wanted to sort of like put themselves uh, in that position, um, or sort of like imagine themselves going through that 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 practice, um, it forces you to be in that space and to have to deal with yourself doing that thing. Um, and so, I think that it almost like for me, or this is what I hope from Twine Games, is that it um, it's a, a platform that can generate empathy um, and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and this is maybe somewhat
3: more related to Kyle's thought, but. Um, right off of this idea of, you know, I, I think you have to sort of be more active in, in the Twine game. So, like, in a way, they they look deceptively simple. It's, like, text on screen, and that kind of feels like that should be kind of low-key. Um, and so it's visually kind of simple. But because you're not given that perspective, because you're not given, like, a player model... I mean, it, the one game kind of gives you a player model. Like, uh, so Sabat kind of gives you a picture of yourself uh, as you sort of describe it but you do have to do a lot more work of providing like who you are. And so there's a like I feel like there's a like there's an engagement, there's a necessary engagement on the player's part uh to sort of supply more uh context of the game. Yeah. And that's both that can that can feel like more work and it can feel like more um more activity on the part of the player, but it can also like finally open up a space for you to bring who you are to that yeah. game in a way that, like, a lot of games don't allow.
1: Or so cause think... deep existential worry for me. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Multiple yeah. options. Yeah, and,
2: and, and probably both as yeah. well, too. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the, the um, deep existential worry is something interesting to think about, especially because, you know, at the beginnings of some of the games, you're asked these really revealing questions. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in more than one of the games, they're like what's in your pants, you know, right. like, yeah. what's your junk? Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, you know, like, you could sort of just, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe for for some people that just, like, feels like a pretty cursory question, and you're like, okay, I just click the answer and I move on, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, they talk about the, you know, the people who write the essays about these games talk about this as well. It actually can be sort of like a moment of great frustration, or, or, or even crisis or something, um, or just annoyance or whatever, but mm-hmm. it, it causes a kind of friction mm-hmm. um, when you're asked a question, that, that actually is kind of violating, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't think that, you know, I'm not actually trying to the, problematize the authors of these games Um, but I think that maybe even the authors are probably self-reflexive about the fact that they're asking you to reveal something very personal and maybe also um, trying to push the player to think about like what it means to actually be a character in a game world or something you know Mm -hmm. like um, what are the things that happen to your character you're not just a digital a digital body moving around shooting things you know (laughs) like you're a person with a body and with genitals you know Um, who has to has to be in that space yeah and to offer
1: that choice for people who, you know, don't fit into, like, the slim binary categories of most sure. gaming mm-hmm. uh, norms, you know, to, like, offer that space to make it different. The one issue, not issue, the one thing that I was kind of interested in, and this probably, you know, appears in more games, is whether those choices and, like, you know, self-prescribed identities are actually meaningful in the context of the game, or it's just for your own kind of sake for offering, for, you know, forming that context, or if, you know, right. if I, in Eden... Chose that I am. I am non-binary, which mm-hmm. I you know I played it a few times, but I chose male or female and just kind of alternated. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that says about me. Um, <laughs> if I chose non-binary, would it make the game meaningfully different that I did that? Right. Should it? I right. don't know. And uh,
3: and the question of like what what would it make different? Like um, you know, from your what you bring to that game and what you feel like you can continue taking to that game. Whether or not the game itself will change, it may not. But it, but it may still be a different sort of experience if you are given that option to sort of yeah. select a thing. Terrell, so,
0: you had a yeah. you had a thought. Well, on that. that note, when you say meaningfully different, I think from the perspective of games, it's an interesting question because I can see, for example, um, the the quickest example that's coming to my mind right now is Assassin's Creed Liberation, where the player character um, has the option of dressing in different garbs. And whether you're dressed as an assassin or dressed as a slave or or dressed as um, a courtesan, that changes the way that the various NPCs interact with you, and that sort of makes it so that you have to play differently. Um, And especially, it makes me wonder if the fact that it's not as these games are the games in the sense that they have something like points, Mm -hmm. right? Where meaningfully different in terms of, okay, this means that I have this particular um, difficulty or obstacle that I now have to do in order to get past these particular points. I don't know if the choices ever sort of register in that, but it's all in terms of the sort of experiential quality, that what does it mean that, for example, in one of the games, um, choosing or answering the question, what's in your pants, then changes or probably has some reflection as to what the um, genital transformation mm-hmm. uh, that happens there after right. is, And that's sort of a question of meaning. Separately, you know, this this question of the player avatar not existing in the way that I think we'd want to consider this with quote-unquote traditional games, it's a really weird way to talk about these games, I think, just because, I mean, in terms of t- the text-based nature of them, these were the sort of thing that games did before they did anything else. Before any
3: graphical abilities at all, right? Yeah.
0: Right, exactly. Um but that missing avatar raises a, soul, a whole lot of questions for me about the, um, the sort of show, don't tell mantra. Mm-hmm. Because in many ways, um, you know, I'm thinking about the way, sort of thinking about, you know, that question, you know, what's in your pants? Um, and how that can be sort of feel like a very violating question or a very revealing question that one has to sort of pose. But then, and granted, it's a different question, cognizant of that, the way that some games will ask you Um, are you a boy or a girl, right? And to some degree, that doesn't, I think, have the same weight. Granted, definitely because it's a different question, but the fact that there's some sort of avatar that it's tied to, right? That, okay, this is the representation that you are changing. This is the variable that you are changing here. But because it doesn't have that sort of weight, it's assumed that maybe there are other things that are changing, or there's larger sort of experiential questions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's something comforting, I think, about the fact that, you know, we have that avatar in some games, traditional games or AAA games, whatever you want to call them, that we could say, oh, that's what I'm controlling mm-hmm. such that I don't have to think about the question of embodiment. The question exactly. of embodiment gets sort of passed over as one of the tools that I use through moving through the world yeah. and the fact that that now becomes a thing of telling rather than showing in these games opens that baggage up for us to sort of meaningfully yeah. deal with. Yeah.
1: That's what made me think of like the me as person, me as character, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of like, break that kind of shift and not having that i was like oh shoot i gotta (laughs) think about this now right
3: right yeah um i don't know if we want to move into actually talking about the games because i think that would give our conversation a little more uh, maybe
1: we should also just mention and max maybe you can talk a little bit more about this copas spends a, a good amount of time speaking about twine games as a like gaming platform but also kind of the institutions of twine games and how they've become particularly you know wrapped in an orbit of like a of like particular groups of people. Mm-hmm. And if you want to
2: talk a bit more about
1: that, just mm-hmm. like there's a kind of context about Twine sure, games that yeah. Copus thinks is really
2: important. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, um, yeah, so Copas um, talks about how Twine games um, have come to be things that are like, you know, I mean, primarily, although not exclusively, um, utilized by trans women as a kind of creative expression. Um, and I mean, I think that there's, you know, I mean, she talks through like as... Um, as Derek said earlier, you know, this is just really a matter of accessibility and the kinds of training that you have. Um, but, I mean, I think that there's also, you know, throughout throughout this text, a lot of the people who are creating these games are trans women. But also, I mean, some of the people creating these games are trans men. Some of these people are, are cis people. Some of them, I mean, cis people, people of color, people, trans people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that going back to the communities, you know, it's it's really just a, a platform that gets to be utilized by a, a broader number of communities yeah. than right. than traditional gaming spaces. And and sort of
3: maybe ironically for our discussion here, uh, Copas cites Bogust at, at a certain point, yeah. and and, and uh, the, the quote is something like. Um, you know uh Kopus describes how she and, and and Anthropy I think set up a, a sort of workshop for the community to come and like learn about how to make games and and you know they had like a like a old couple there and they had like a person with a child young child there i think i i don't have the exact quote but yeah it's like a variety of people right like a, just like a variety of like like people uh from all different sort of walks of life and like this is uh, the the Bogas quote is like Uh, you know games are approaching that point where we can use them and make them in the way that we use a digital camera that it's it's just sort of like point and shoot and that sort of easy gesture is starting to manifest with something like with a tool like twine right so it's sort of it allows a crossover between boundaries of class boundaries of 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 identity that um, because of its free because it's free and yeah. it's open source and because it's it's a simple tool to use, it allows for sort of mobility.
2: So. Right. Yeah. And I mean I think that she also complicates that at the very end of mm-hmm. her introduction, where she's saying, you know, I don't want you to think of this collection sort of like as the pinnacle of yeah. like video game diversity. Um, and how in many ways this is, you know, only a beginning. And it's true that Twine has, I think, a much broader and just, I mean, not even broader, but significantly different reach um, than probably the games that you're usually discussing on this podcast. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that like a, a larger question that this brings up is like, who is the idea of gaming available to? Yeah. Like, what kinds of people create and invest themselves in games, even if it is a more open platform like mm-hmm. Twine. And, you know, if there are um, sort of significant numbers of people who don't feel as though games are worthwhile for whatever reason, um, you know, why is that? And what can we do to make games valuable to those people um, what what do what do broader communities who don't currently engage with games um, need from video games what yeah. would they need from video games are video games valuable at all in sort of like a diversity of spaces that aren't currently or among a diversity of people that aren't currently
0: invested in them yeah I thought her reflections on white supremacy in particular mm-hmm. were um, keen observations and admirable to sort of call that sort of out to question mm-hmm. saying like this is this is a gap or this is a space where there's still work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of the what it sort of invited me to do, um, and I think it's important to phrase it that way, because there was a part of me that was like, well, why? You know, could you say more? But it's mm-hmm. like, well, no, that's my kind of invitation to kind of take up some work there is, well, what is that sort of gap there? Why is it that this is this seems to be a primarily white um, sort of enterprise or activity or such. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious, I don't know, if anyone had any thoughts about that or if that was just <laughs> because it's in my wheelhouse and my area of expertise. Yeah. I, that I think you can harder.
1: definitely tell that Copas is or used to be an academic or, like, was interested in academia because she mm-hmm. has this great way of, like, being very, like, you know, kind of, like, exalting the, the and praising Twine games and how they're different and unique and then also being really critical of them and moving <laughs> things forward mm-hmm. and, like, that kind of, like, Alternating space is how I feel all the time. Like yeah, I, I think, yeah, so I'm like, yeah. I like things. And I'm like, you shouldn't like those things, these things have problems. And I'm like, yeah. no, but things have problems
3: and that's okay. And I'm like, no, but the problems are really bad. So that was fun for me. Yeah. Sorry. Back to your question though. No, I, I mean I don't I don't have I haven't done that work. I, I I also heard the invitation but didn't have the time to do it. But um I do I think it's I think it's good to like really highlight these points because just because a tool or a sort of game genre or a- any sort of object that we can use in the world or any sort of process just because it is open and free does not mean that it is being engaged with equally across yeah. all spaces and that it's just this big you know beautiful inclusive thing and i think like you guys have already said copas is really good at highlighting yeah. highlighting those moments where where it could be more yeah. inclusive
1: yeah and it seems to me the solution to your question or one of the solutions to your question trail is basically what max just said right Is like seeing what do certain communities, what do certain people, what do certain groups of people see as like, this is something I want, right? And then how can we make platforms, accessibility, training, education, Mm -hmm. funds, money, you know, available to people to do what they want and what would make them better, more complete people, right? So if that's black trans women, right? Mm -hmm. Which she says is a kind of big missing link in a lot of Twine games. Mm -hmm. um, Or, you know, trans people, trans women that are also people of color. Getting them right, like mm-hmm. like like seeing like what are their needs on an individual individual basis, and right. see are, is gaming a solution to those? Yeah. Okay, then let's see what we can do. Right.
2: Yeah. Right, and I mean, i so think, reaching out. I think that uh, a larger question is also like, what's uh, what's at stake in various communities? So I mean, you know, uh, Maricopus and an- Anthropy are both. Um, you know trans women who have a lot of a lot of education um, and who have had the means to access that education um, even if they don't necessarily come from you know upper middle class or, or wealthy backgrounds um, you know and there's other communities like if we want to you know talk about the sort of I don't know whatever mythical figure of the black trans women that is so often <laughs> used as a symbolic uh, marker of marginal ultimate marginalization yeah. <laughs> um, more marginalized yeah. than that. Yeah. Um, but you know um like you know, I guess the question is sort of what's at stake in those communities. and you know, like if uh, if you're a person who's like more worried about you know, getting killed than you are about gaming representation, <laughs> yeah. you know, then yeah. like then what what is in it uh, for you, basically, yeah. like, what does twine offer for you? Right. And the answer is like, I don't know, you right. know, the answer is like, yeah. maybe nothing, right. actually. Right.
3: Um, it's the question of the meaning, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, it's the yeah. question of the meaning of representation, and like what what are the limits of aesthetics, and mm. what are the limits of uh, playing and working on and talking about video games, or, or any other sort of well, I art I
0: suppose form. that raises for me, you know, is Twine about representation, or is it about mm-hmm. something more? Mm-hmm. Is it about yeah. a sort of expressive quality? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. if, you know, I guess I have a hard time understanding in my mind just explicitly what the difference between something like music or mm-hmm. poetry or movies, right? Uh, between twine and that, because it, it seems like you could raise the same challenge mm-hmm. to those mediums. So like yeah. For the people facing particular challenges like violence and mm-hmm. um, its variety of capacities, what do each of those mediums have to resolve that particular question? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I have a hard time digging up a specific disadvantage Uh, to twine Mm -hmm. from a political perspective Mm -hmm. as opposed to these other ones. Um, The one thing that is coming to mind, um, and this is not true across the entire spectrum of people of color, um, but I think it is true for certain communities and certain groups, uh, the attraction or the value of forms of expression that um, have... a visual element and an auditory or an oral element to Mm -hmm. it. Um, And I think that the tools for that are definitely there with Twine. I mean, you know, I think most of the games that we played, if we counted how much space they took up, it wasn't very much. And whatever sound files were there were not very big. Mm -hmm. But there is, I think, space to do something like... um, kinetic topography within Twine, mm-hmm. such that someone's voice could appear as as words are coming up and interacting mm-hmm. with the cursors there. Mm-hmm. That there are possibilities and modes of improvisation mm-hmm. um, that maybe have taken place. I mean, we, we played three games. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> there could be so many within yeah. the the things that we um, had access to that could be addressing many of the things that I'm sort of raising and talking about here yeah. um, that I think could become attractive to Modes of uh, expression that already exist. Um,
2: yeah, totally. I mean, I just want to build off of what you're saying a little bit. I mean, I think that, you know, you asked the question sort of like, um, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but sort of like, uh, what, you know, what are Twine games bringing in terms of re- representation? And I actually think that they're bringing, um, maybe it's not in terms of representation per se, but I think in terms of like invitation to put yourself in a gaming space. And so, you know, I think that I, I don't play traditional games, but if I were to play traditional games, I would probably be like, there is not, you know, there's generally not a body like mine in a traditional gaming space. Um, and I can turn to a Twine game and I can be like, oh, wow, I can like find bodies like mine or like, you know, and I can like put myself in that game and I can experience like, you know, issues, whether they're sort of fantastical like Sabat um, or more realistic, like something like Depression Quest, you know? Um, and I can be like, oh, I can feel myself participating in this game and either reflecting on something that's important to me. And I mean, I think the question um, about identity comes comes to the fore for me when we think about who's who's making, you know, I mean, you put it like an expressive space. Like who's making that expressive space um, and who feels like their body's able to access and who, like that, that feels familiar in that expressive space. And I think that we need to figure out how to make I mean, we s- <laughs> us four <in laughs> us four <laughs> right now. Um, you know, um, there needs to be more thought put into how games can become a space for more people mm-hmm. to 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 feel like their bodies can enter that space and like they they can gain something valuable from from that engagement. And I think that depends on who's doing the authorship of sure. the games. Sure,
3: absolutely, yeah. Do you want to turn to the games then? Yeah, because uh, you mentioned um, uh, Sabat, which I think is yeah. uh, is definitely dealing with embodiment. Mm-hmm. Is definitely dealing with demon uh, genitalia. Yeah, <laughs> definitely snake penises that spray poison. Oh, uh, fascinating! I yeah, did, I did that was the that. I did not <laughs> have that. Yeah, yeah, that's I, just Derek
1: talking about things he's into. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean,
3: I hope this is a this is a judgment free space. Place. No problem. Right, good. Um, so uh, you know we we, taught, we we played three different games and and this one Sabat is by Ava Problem. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I guess to to summarize the thing, uh, you are sort of you begin and you know they ask what's in your pants, so you have to sort of confront your your sort of embodiment right away. And I think it's 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 interesting that that's it's not like are you a man or a woman like what's in your pants, very material thing, and then you commit this sort of like satanic ritual. It's very clear that you're not in a good mental space at this point. This is sort of a last resort kind of a thing. And then you transform into this demon creature, which will be different, I guess, depending on what what parts of the sacrifice you smear on what parts of your body. Um, And then you just sort of, like, rampage the town. I think Merritt sort of described it as, like, you, you, you... I mean, you steal these auras from these two sort of people... Uh, and, and then you overthrow patriarchal capitalism. <laughs> and uh, every game should end with you overthrowing it. You it, yes. it would be so dope. I really... Oh, i would be so much better. And there's this really great like doom metal sort of like droning guitar track that plays for the whole thing. Uh, it just has a really sort of like, it's it's really like fun. It's like a fun and has like a good sense of humor. And I, I actually chuckled a few times, which is like kind of a rare thing for, for me when I play games. But I feel like, is, am I missing parts from the summary? sound good? All right. What, what pretty you, solid. What did you guys, I mean, what were your experiences playing through the game?
0: So, it's funny, <laughs> beginning with the satanic ritual, uh, I think the first thing that I kind of had to confront um, at that point was, this isn't something that I would do. Uh-huh. Right? Like, right, uh, right. Uh, yeah. You don't oh. have to hide who you are. True. I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, and then there's kind of a moment, because I think there's a few other questions that they ask you uh, in the very beginning, and one of which is the kind of level of not safe for work. uh right. And part of which is sort right. of the display, I think, of uh-huh. actual animal sacrifice. And then I think there's one more. It's like you know, we can turn down some other things as well. Yeah. And there's kind of a moment, especially I think when they mentioned centipedes. Like, please don't show me a picture of a centipede on the screen. <laughs> don't want it. No, thank don't you. Don't want it. Yeah. Um, but then I guess the fun. The thing that's sort of making me think about that now is, I also would probably not fight a giant robot T-Rex with nothing but like various <laughs> yeah. altered bow and, arrow. bow and arrows, yeah. Yeah. or take yeah. a like glider mm-hmm. that is probably the size of you know a, a sheet of of card a sheet of construction paper and right. then try and glide. So,
1: and so something about twine made made you question the like realism of it, and something that you wouldn't have done in a 3D rendered space type yeah. of game.
0: Well, I right? guess just that feeling of, I wouldn't really do yeah. this. Yeah, because right. it's
1: it's you. Like, in the Twine game, uh-huh. at least my initial take was always like, I'm me, uh-huh. and I'm going to do these things. So every time right. it came up like, what kind of genitalia do you have? I was Mm -hmm. like, penis.
3: Yeah, right, right.
1: Um, (laughs) uh, But, you know, in a game like Pokemon, I I don't really care what gender I choose when Professor Oak or Professor Ash or whoever, Mm -hmm. who's just really bad at determining gender, um, says, (laughs) you know, like, are you a boy or a girl? I'm like, it doesn't really matter. I'll pick one just to make my avatar look different, right? Right. So, like, there is something different in that Mm -hmm. you, at least for me, every time I I played one of the Twine games, I'm like, I'm me, Mm -hmm. and I'm playing this game. I'm Mm -hmm. not character, avatar, even though my avatar doesn't have a name, you know? Like, um, I don't know. Well, you know, some game we've played, Papers, Please, right? Sure, sure. Um, your avatar doesn't have a name, but you're like, I am an immigration control officer. That mm-hmm. is my identity. Right. I already got that, so your right. identity is still you, and that makes things way more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't like thinking about that. Is what <laughs> is what I've realized, and I should.
0: See, but I think that gets complicated, and we'll get we can get to those complications when we get to the game with Eden. But yeah, asterisks, we'll get to it later. But yeah, continue. yeah.
3: yeah. Um, That's so bad. Max, what was your... I mean, you've played it probably more than us.
2: Um, Yeah, I've played it... uh, I think this was my second or third time playing it, so I haven't played it that much more. Um, I played it once when I got the collection, Mm -hmm. and then again for this. Um, But I mean, I think that... A very hilarious thing about this game is that it can have uh, many different levels of meaning, and so you all played it and you all had the sort of meaning of satanic ritual. And for me, I mean, this game is hilarious. It's one giant joke about transition. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, mm. it's just it's yeah. just a giant hilarious joke yeah. uh-huh. about like the stakes of transition, and mm-hmm. like it's sort of like it's sort of like, lol. This is how you know it's portrayed in the media. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, at least that's how I feel about this game. Um, But you're going through the game, and you go through this, like, you know, you're sort of, like, depressed, and then you, like, come to power when your body changes. But instead of, like, you know, being, like, oh, wow, like... Once I was an X, and now I'm a Y, and wow, mm-hmm. my life is so much better. You're like, oh, now I'm like a weird demon beast who's gonna, <laughs> <laughs> who's gonna end patriarchy, right. you know? And I mean, I just like I from from the, I just like appreciated the sort uh-huh. of send up of like the classic transition narrative, sure, um, and like felt like I was sort of like in on the joke, which I really enjoyed. Okay, um, so that's my take on it. That's that take. I mean, it, it went it went it went right over my
3: head. <laughs> yeah. But now that you say it, like. Uh, this problematic body is going to destroy the world, basically, mm-hmm. and bring about an end to everything. That's yeah. With their that's snake good. penis. I did think
0: right. that the, um, the moments of hunting down the auras mm-hmm. was a particularly interesting moment, and I guess this is something I didn't think about, but I'm wondering if it would be different if you chose to hunt a different aura first. Which one did you hunt first? I hunted the purple dark flame mm-hmm. one first that's the, the witch yeah. Yes. the witch Same. okay um, i did
3: the the good aura with the pure boy <laughs> who does who gives the little <laughs> little that you basically destroy <laughs> yeah. this episode's going to reveal a lot about us as <laughs> people i i you know i i good was a little Poor
2: choice of words, but you know. I mean, I obviously wanted to have you know, uh, fun, fun witch makeouts, <laughs> right? Yeah, of <laughs> Be- course, before, before, like, you know, eating a Christian boy, or whatever. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I, um, I thought that that was particularly the one with the witch was interesting just in terms of confronting, um, I guess sex in a very real way mm-hmm. because you know, I think it even sends up that, and I think. In a way that I understood, um, perhaps outside, if it's necessary, the context that I was referring to, just because, you know, you think it's one thing, but then the real materiality of it, mm-hmm. if you will, can yeah. be something entirely different when two bodies are trying to interact with one another. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. the the We should have mentioned this earlier. I meant to. But um, sexuality is important, but also, like, in a sexy way for these games a lot mm-hmm. of the time. So um, there are, I think in in all the games we played, there's some sort of... Sex scene or moment of sort of intimacy, physical intimacy, uh, and I got the sense that there's other, like a lot of the other games that we didn't get a chance to play, also play with that as well. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, the the game is the game is really kind of kind of funny, and now I now I know a joke more at a different level than <laughs> I did before. Um, if we don't have anything else to say about Sabat, I mean, we can we can move on to Eden. I mean, yeah, I think is, it was a good transition to Eden. Yeah, yeah, actually which I think I played the most of
1: all the games. Yeah, sure. Um, which, I mean, the base is the game, if it's okay, I'll describe it. Is, yeah, It's like you're a, um, again, like kind of an anonymous person who they're kind of ask you uh, what you identify as, and you can choose male, female, non-binary. And uh, it does kind of change the the story, or the, the kind of next few slides or, you know, screens or whatever, because... Um, it describes like your morning routine. If you're a guy, it says like, gotta shave and like, I have a beard. And I was like, that's not gonna happen. So that immediately put me out of the story. But, <laughs> but if you click like non-binary, it says like, oh, you know, people are always asking you like, what are you gonna be as today? And it's really insulting. And I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting. They at least were like, they're making an overture to like, different people can play games mm-hmm. and different people have different life experiences, right? right? right. Anyway, um, you work at a like secret lab somewhere. Uh, they've brought in an alien who looks like a person, but might be a man or a woman or non-gendered, depending on what you choose. Um, that alien thing person, his name, their name is Eden, um, or that's what the scientists call them, at least. And uh, as the game goes on, basically, you try to free Eden, or if you're a jerk like me, you just leave her there. And just leave. <laughs> I, I chose her the first time. You leave the Eden in the cell what the to hell die. I mean? Yeah, so I'll get into that in one second. But... Uh, <laughs> That's but, my asterisk, by the way. Yeah, that, yeah that's the asterisk. Uh, but uh, you eventually can leave Eden out of the cell. And I, I, I'm i assuming I won the game because I got Eden out of the cell. I got them to their ship and I went back to their home planet and we fell in love and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm a great person. But the first time I played the game, uh, again, this, is, this, is, this was what made me think about the me as a person because I played the game and, you know, the game starts with a dream and they were like, do you want to free this weird alien? And I was like, no, what? <laughs> I've seen the movie alien. Right. I understand how right. this works. It looks all nice. And then it eats my head uh-huh. and I don't want to deal with that right, right now. So I was like, no, it's an alien. We need to study it for a while before we understand uh-huh. what's going on. And so I clicked, I'm not going to save the alien. And they're like, it's a dream. And I was like, Oh, that's funny. And then of course you get to work and there's the alien again. And I was uh-huh. like, okay, great. And so it was like, do you want to, you know, do you talk to them telepathically?" and uh eden is like yeah you know can you rescue me there's like a few you know kind of like gestures towards that and i was like no well i'm a scientist like <laughs> that's what you've told me i got to study and kind of understand what's going on uh, i won't be a jerk but like let's like let's not jump to any conclusions maybe you're super evil right mm-hmm. and then i get tortured and killed by my compatriots because maybe i'm an alien too oh, i don't shit. know if anyone ever went that way i didn't get that it way. got weird go yeah, yeah like you get Taken out by your by uh, Jones, your advisor, and then he's like, "We've been studying your DNA, and you know that's why you're able to talk with Eden because it's not human." And then you die, wow. and I got the trophy. Whoa. What's the trophy? Oh, you're a monster. That's the name. <laughs> that's the name of the trophy. And I was like, "Awesome!" And so then I replayed and tried to be nice, but yeah, so I tried to be me, and me is would be very freaked out by aliens. Well, and, Even and sexy
3: aliens. Me slash you is also like thinking of- Derek and I are the same person. All of the, yeah, we are, we are one. Uh, this is just me doing a different It's voice. just one
1: person doing two
3: voices. It's really, imp- and we have two mics set up. It's pretty cool. It's, it's cool. beautiful. It's the, the it.
0: creepiest thing to be a part of. <laughs> Let me just tell you, someone's been doing this for about a year. <laughs> so
3: we came to Terrell and we were like, we would like to do this weird thing. And Terrell's like, okay. Who's we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who is we? Don't worry about
2: it. Um, Come into a small room with us. Derek's doing <laughs> something from one chair to another. <laughs> That's like Gollum and Lord of the Rings. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah things get really weird. Yeah. Uh, speak- we
2: should make a twine game
3: about this. Perfect. Good. We could, is the cool thing. <laughs> okay. Um the to get back to the thing I wanted to say, your response to I, I'm gonna ima- I'm imagining that since we're the same person, I can just say this. Uh, I swear I'm gonna drop that. Um <laughs> Uh, your response to like an alien in a cage that you're not familiar with is totally conditioned by a ton of other media, right? Yeah. Like every exactly. you mentioned alien, yeah. and like all of these other. I mean, certainly also within games, this is like a totally normal trope. A thing has a has is here. It looks a little human. It might be human. Yeah, but I don't trust. Maybe that. it's not. not right. For I, one I just second. like I have no idea what this thing is, and so I should treat it with suspicion and yeah. not sort of acceptance and trust or sort yeah. of like immediately helping that person. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't – I'm not going to take you totally off the hook, but I don't think you should, like, put yourself – like, this isn't totally your, your – Yeah, I,
1: I like that, like, in in terms of other media. And I'm always kind of – because I'm very, like, cynical. I, I'm always sensitive to, like, they're trying to make this appear, like, that more standard narrative of, like, you find the alien and it turns out, like, they're great. Like, you know, like, E.T. or, sure. you know um, – on other things, like like everyone else is afraid of these things, but they're great. And I've always thought E. T. could have been way more horrifying if, like, <laughs> you know, the extraterrestrial was just like, oh yeah, also I eat brains, right? Which, right. like, how do we know? It's right. an alien. Who right. knows? Yeah. Um. So I thought it was going to be a kind of reverse on that, with yeah. like, look at this beautiful alien that's like maybe kind of sexy yeah. and like yeah. I don't know. And then like yeah, no, it just totally like eats your brains. Right. Is what.
3: Well, um, do we have any other things we wanted to say about Eden before we move on to the. The, the final game we played which i thought which i think is it's it's the short it's a shorter of the three I mean none of them are very long at all this one's called uh even cowgirls bleed so to give a quick summary of the game uh you sort of you're this uh you're this what's the motivation for going out west I can't remember exactly uh, um, you're like I mean things
1: aren't going well for
3: you yeah things are going well for you and and you you sort of decide to start a new life and you head out west and you're a, you're a positioned as a as a female uh, person and you sort of you have a gun and you you go out to the saloon you're a cowgirl you're a cowgirl important a female person a female <laughs> person a cowgirl and you and you sort of as you progress through the text like um it's sort of an orange background with black text words will be highlighted in red and that'll sort of cue off this like bang like a sound effect like a, like a like you're shooting or something like that. The actual line is, you're a big city girl with a closet full of fancy dresses, but Uh not a whole lot of sense. I love, I I, I just want, I only want Kyle reading (laughs) in that. This is how I talk now. (laughs) Oh God, no. What have we done? Uh, We're doing this really great third voice. It's really fun. Um, (laughs) uh i'm doing a shit job of summarizing <laughs> this game so please jump in and like save so uh, your a cursor myself.
1: becomes a a crosshairs important and so instead of in the other type of twine games where you just point your cursor and you click on the next hypertext um or with you know the blued segment of the text uh your cursor if you just scroll over something that's highlighted it automatically clicks it bingo which you learn very quickly because there's, like, two options, whether you want to shoot a guy's hat or him. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, like, you know, like, flipping around the screen, doing whatever. It's like, oh, I, like, almost shot a dude because <laughs> I was not paying attention. Right. So it becomes very clear, like, clicking on something means you shoot it with your gun. And then on the side, you'll get an option that says holster sometime if you don't want to shoot anything. Although
0: there is no click. Yeah, there's no click. You're sorry, yeah, you're right. So, and
3: you
1: scroll over something. And then the funny. gun just goes off Yeah, no mm-hmm. matter what you do. Yeah. Which the author in the COPUS book says mm. is a kind of really interesting uh, way of, you know, saying that – Make it characterizing you, you know, like saying mm-hmm. that you're like it kind of shows that you're kind of quick to the trigger and you'll see something and just kind of, you know, shoot it, you know which, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people are like that, right? Yeah. Um, and so that the gameplay also kind of forms a characterization model even though you're given nothing about yourself, you get really quickly because you're always kind of like running through the text and clicking things and shooting things and then right. that makes consequences for you shot something then you shot something else and you're like this person is supposed to shoot
3: everything right yeah. so yeah. that's
1: a character model that's gained from the the plane. mechanics
3: create a subjectivity exactly yeah absolutely that was a way more beautiful way to say that much very concise and what I like I the thing is I interpreted that sort of I, I also had the sense that those mechanics were, were giving a sort of sense of the of the, of the player's character but I interpret it as like a sort of impulsive, like accidental,
2: sort of like whoops! I accidentally <laughs> shot something. Oh God! I accidentally shot yeah. something again. And, that, and I feel and like it keeps happening. Yeah. And I think that you know, in the beginning, it feels a little bit more like you're kind of like, oh, I'm in control, like right? pretty cool human, mm-hmm. like, you know, I can, like, shoot this, you know, shoot this hat off this guy's head and, like, show him he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. But by the end, I feel I feel like you really are sort of, like, aware of the fact that you don't have control over what you're doing yeah, and it yeah. just sort of devolves throughout the game because yeah. that it, by the end of the game, sort of, like, whatever you mouse over, mm-hmm. you're gonna hurt somebody. Yeah. Right, um, right. And then it becomes clear that, you know, you're sort of, like, uh, your self-confidence and you know, your cockiness even is very unfounded. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. There was,
1: there was horrible moments, too, where I was playing where, Uh, I would scroll onto something and then it would scroll down and my cursor would be on the next thing already and Mm -hmm. so it kept like cascading and I'm like, what's going on? And then you start shooting yourself is like the end of the thing Mm -hmm. and like you start, so the screen starts bleeding and like reading in different, and I'm like, what's going on? And then you die.
0: Yeah, then you die. So there's a moment early on um, that I think kind of sets the the tone for everything where I think it's when you're driving into town and then there's the sign that says, uh, population 50,000. 50, and the only way I think to progress is to um, to shoot, scroll over, shoot the sign, yeah, and then just pow, right, mm-hmm. fifty thousand and one, you leave <laughs> your mark because right. you're, you know, this is this that and the other, you're a bad cowgirl, so yeah. on and so forth, and that is kind of a moment where it's like, yeah, you kind of shoot from the hip, and yeah, yeah. you don't have to click, yeah, which is interesting because that makes it way more. I don't know what the, the word is, I volatile guess. Volatile? Volatile than like actual shooters mm-hmm. where there's a like joystick that controls the cursor yeah. and mm-hmm. then you actually have to pull or press a button yeah. right, to click.
1: Like the intentionality mm-hmm. isn't there anymore. Yeah.
0: Right, right. That, that sort of immediacy to kind of firing the gun, I think, and the sort of, you know, you're, you're riding into town, you know, you see this, boom. Right, mm-hmm. I think that there's a certain, like when that new set of text comes up, there's a certain like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: yeah. But it troubles. I mean, it troubles precisely that that paradigm of control that you have at, in most shooters. Which, of course, this this game is totally playing on. I mean, yeah. it transforms your 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 pointer into a into a, a set of crosshairs. But because
1: uh, most shooters are like you know, like, we can probably all recommend, like, uh, realize, like, male adolescent power fantasies, right? Sure. So, you know, they're like it's, like, about control, about mm-hmm. power, about dominance, mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, being the the god of all you survey, yeah. right? And so this kind of weird Operating inversion of be, it, yeah, yeah, where the gun actually becomes a problem and you're losing control because of your ultimate power, well, right? Well, I
0: think that that's part of a, a different power fantasy, right? Which is very tied into sexuality, yeah. I think. Um, the pistol becomes a kind of, I think, reference to a type of sexuality, a type of Mm -hmm. expressiveness, a type of assertiveness um, at various different moments. And I think the kind of way that the story plays out problematizes that kind of, well, acknowledges that need for that kind of freedom, but also problematizes the the results of that being unchecked.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I actually think that's a, has that in common with Eden a little bit. Yes. Um, where it's like, you try to, you know, like, you try to use video games as this escapist space where you do, as the player, have a kind of, like, ultimate power and freedom uh, to control your ideal environment. And in the Twine games, like, that never happens, <laughs> you know? That yeah. ne- I mean, except <laughs> except for in Saban. Where you in right. patriarchal capitalism. Um, yeah, <laughs> where you pa- patriarchal capitalism, you know, you don't. That that doesn't happen in the other two games that mm-hmm. we have. You don't have access to yeah. um to that fantasy. Absolutely. <laughs> well you do if you do the right thing. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um I, I think I think we should sort of keep moving, but um I, I, I all all three of these games are really fantastic. Yeah, and and as mentioned, And of before, all the episodes we've done so far, this is I mean, this is by far the most
1: accessible one because all the games absolutely. are free, right? Absolutely. But also um easy to play. I mean, you can play all of them in probably under an hour in one run through if you're really into it. So this is, if you, please, we just want people to listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) listen to the podcast and play the game and maybe you'll get something more out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
3: Terrell, did you?
0: Support Merrick Copas. Yeah. Yeah. Buy the book. Buy the book. It's only
1: $10. Yes. And you get, yeah, the book in all forms and then you can also buy the games on the website, right? The
3: games comes with the book, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like all, it's all one big. Big bundle.
2: Yeah, and actually a lot of the games, um, if you don't, for whatever reason, even though you should, if you don't want to buy the whole book, a lot of the games you can actually just find online anyway for yeah. free.
3: On itch.io, itch.io is, a, is yeah. a, a, where mm. a lot of those games are, can be found. Um, great. Let's, let's get to Ian. Let's get to yeah. Mr. Bogost. Before we, before we move <laughs> on, uh, we want to talk really quickly about um, an article that appeared in The Atlantic by Ian Bogost. And uh, the game, the articles titled "Video Games Are Better Without Stories." I'm sure he didn't mean to provoke anything with that. I'm sure, yeah, it's a very innocent title. <laughs> yeah, very innocent. Very um, what does he do in this article? Like, what what do you guys feel like he's yeah. he's doing in this article?
1: I think so. A lot of criticism has come out of this article, or a lot of like pushback later on, which I think you know, it's probably justified, and I think he probably intended for a lot of pushback, <laughs> especially with the title. But he lays out terms. And he lays out like kind of like, this is what I'm talking about. And I think maybe some people are kind of criticizing uh, what he's not talking about. And he's basically just like, games, people, most people want games to become the Star Trek holodeck, right? Mm -hmm. Like a interactive fiction where you're completely immersed in a world where your actions have consequences and all that, et cetera, et cetera. And he basically says, I don't think that's what a game should be. You know, he's like, any game that's done that so far doesn't do it very well. Mm-hmm. Like his example that I connect with the most is in Bioshock when you pick up those, I, I always forget the names, like the echo logs, the audio, audio logs. vox the, cast log. There are audio
0: box things in Bioshock uh, Infinite, but something yeah. different. Yeah.
1: Dang it. This was in the Bioshock he episode. Me just either. alternating it ninety times and <laughs> everyone. Anyway, uh, you know, picking up those and you hear the story of Rapture and how it fell. And you know, that's like environmental storytelling. And he basically says, "Yeah, I don't think games should do that." He's like, "I think a movie could do that better. I think books do that better. Games should do something else, um, mm-hmm. something that they are meant to do better." Yeah. So I think those are kind of the terms he lays out. Yeah, and it's maybe a more narrow argument than video games are better without stories because. Everything is a story, right? Everything, video games are better with stories. There's no way to get around it. But that his term is about, his, his his argument is about this thing called environmental storytelling and how it needs to be completely revamped for good gamings, for good gaming.
3: Um, I wanted to quickly uh, mention one thing. This sort of, I, I'm 90% sure that Bogust intends to call this book to mind by talking about the holodeck. Um, there's a book called Hamlet on the holodeck by... Um, and I wanted to look up her name, which I now can't see. Janet, Janet Murray. Janet Murray. This is like one of the fundamental sort of like game studies texts. And the I I don't think it's an accident that Hamlet on the Hollow Deck and and Hamlet and Hollow are being featured in Bogus' piece. And I I had this is I bought this book. It is sitting on my shelf. I have not read it yet, <laughs> but I do get the sense that the title the the subtitle is the future of narrative in cyberspace. So I think as much as Bogus is sort of. He he sort of goes through this uh, game Edith, Edith Finch, What Remains of Edith Finch, which came out relatively recently. It's a very sort of narrative uh, focused sort of uh, quote unquote walking like anti game. Right, right, like yeah. they very purposefully say, yeah, we are a walking simulator. Right, exactly. They sort of take all, that. yeah,
1: all these you know dude bros who play COD insult right, us and calling right. it a walking simulator. Right. we are that. It's they, better, they sort yeah.
3: of flip that term around. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think that that uh, that, that Bogost is sort of has his position about games as sort of objects that you manipulate and sort of do things with. And then uh, something like Murray's position is is thinking really in that sort of literary tradition of like, how is narrative going to look in this new medium? And those are two very, like, I think that's playing around in the background of this article. There is a quote, if I, if I can read that. That'd be Please cool. do. Uh, where uh, Bogos writes, to dream of the holodeck
1: is just to dream a complicated dream of the novel. If there is a future of games, let alone a future in which they discover their potential as a defining medium, it will be one in which games abandon the dream of becoming narrative media and pursue the one they're already good at, taking the tidy, ordinary world apart and putting it back together again in surprising, ghastly new ways. Right? Mm-hmm. So that the goal should not be we should make really good novels in digital form. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but instead, we should do something different. And so. That's like the terms of his debate. I'm not saying yeah. I, I necessarily agree with that. I'm just yeah. saying I think those are the kind of terms he said. Yeah, I absolutely. Think it is it's crazy how well this works with an episode on Twine, right? Because <laughs> yeah. a Twine it like is it's... an interactive novel, right? That's the absolutely. kind of a digitalized interactive novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a game, and I think it's valuable, yeah. and I think as a platform they're valuable.
3: Right, but I, the the thing the thing about um, even *Cowgirls* *Cowgirls Bleed* shows us is I think that it actually is also I think it's actually also it's a, maybe it's a interactive novel but it's also a space like the text becomes more than text it becomes like a little space you have to navigate your cursor through and certain things will activate things in that 2D space. And that changes the narrative. Exactly. It changes the narrative, but also changes, like, the the visual experience of the game.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I guess, so, like, again, you know, like, with the caveat that I haven't played a lot of games that aren't Twine games. Sure. um, And I say that just because, like, the thing that really confounds, (laughs) confounds me about Bogos' piece is the argument that he's making where it's, like, games should be something else, not narrative. And, like, what, like, what kinds of games are not narrative, you yeah, know? Right, like, what, yeah. what What are games that you play uh-huh. where either, you know, I mean, like, maybe the game doesn't offer you narrative, but, like, what are games where you don't sort of invent your own narrative around mm-hmm. what your character is doing? Yeah. Like, do those games exist? Yeah. Can those games exist? Like, do you play any game, whether it's, you know, uh, a board game or, like, even, like, like, I don't know, like... Shoots and ladders or something. Like, do you play any game Mm -hmm. without sort of creating a small narrative in your mind? And like, is that possible? And also like, why? (laughs) I mean, mean, that's my real question. It's like, why is that important? Yeah, right. That (laughs) was
1: my kind of thing too. Like, is he... Is is he saying that then the ideal game is non is narrativeless, right? Is like mm-hmm. pure game mechanics, which mm-hmm. the reference that I had to Google before is the excellently titled game Supersonic Acrobatic Rocket Powered Battle Cars, um, <laughs> oh, damn. which is this game that came out <laughs> six or seven years ago that's like pure game. You know, you're you're uh-huh. a, a rocket powered car and you have to hit a ball into a, you know, a net. Uh-huh. Um, like, is that a pure game then? Because yeah. it's just pure game mechanics and like yeah. physics and rendering. Uh, which I don't think is the case.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's... So we were, you know, discussing this earlier before the podcast began, and I mean, I think for me, the problem with that is that it seems like a very particular kind of fantasy of an apolitical landscape where, um, you know like things don't have any meaning and you know it's like the truth is that you know if you're playing that game you know you might bring your own self to it and there might still be a sort of like social political or narrative meaning Mm -hmm. that comes up even if that game doesn't you know so I mean I think the fan for me at least um, it seems like like a a fantasy where games can somehow be be removed from like cultural narratives overall and I it doesn't I don't know if that is a possible reality. Yeah. I'm nodding vigorously this whole time <laughs> when Max is speaking. I think my issue, like building off that, I think
1: my, not issue, my kind of concern was I don't really get what the ideal game is then. You yeah. know? Like most of the article is, like, is very critical, which I think is good, uh, of like the modern gaming, kind of like a modern approach to gaming. Mm-hmm. And I think he's saying like games like COD and games like, you know, Gone Home are still kind of missing the point. Like everyone's mm-hmm. kind of missing the point. It's yeah. not just walking simulators. It's not just, you know, games that explore identity or games that are about guns and dudes, you know? Mm-hmm. Like everyone's kind of missing the point of what games are. I just wish he had kind of indicated a bit more like the ideal game or like, you know, the way to mm-hmm. push games forward would look like this, you know? Or uh, environmental storytelling would be useful in these cases, yeah. you know?
3: I, and I think, I think you're totally articulating something that a lot of people picked up right after this piece came out, which is that it's very critical. It's sort of, you know, it's got a, it's critical edge. It's a little provocative, but there's a, what's lacking is, is a real clear positive sense of yeah. an articulation of a positive or what, what, ideal what or way this? forward or like some sort of suggestion. Right. And so there's, and, and one, I mean, I'm, I'm totally referencing uh, some people, a discussion that was had at Waypoint uh, by a couple of people on their podcast, but um this the you know Bogost is one of the few writers who's talking about games that has some sort of broader audience. Like the readership of the Atlantic probably yeah. includes a lot of people that don't play video games yeah. very often. Bogost is verified on Twitter. I yeah, mean, like, I mean that's the goal. How, right? like, how that's much the dream. more official can you be? <laughs> uh, and so like it it it's just sort of it just it's sort of a shame to have this piece published in the Atlantic for this audience that it might already be inclined to be like eh games what is that even. And then to sort of be lacking that positive gesture is sort of, it's just a little frustrating, I think, for for some people reacted that way. So,
0: so I think it throws me off about this, and I think that this is kind of picking up on the thread that we're sort of touching here, which is there's no sort of positive characteristic that he's sort of trying to acknowledge that is happening with games, is that I think that there's just not a lot of attention to what is happening in games or what has happened in games thus far. And I remember having a conversation um, with someone here at Vanderbilt about one of my favorite games, um, the Ratchet and Clank series, uh, the originals for the PlayStation 2. And the stories in those games, in terms of the narratives that they tell through the cutscenes, not that great, not that interesting, not that compelling, nothing that's gonna warrant study or yeah. inquiry um, beyond it as a cultural artifact. But what does make a lot of sense is thinking about something like the arena battles in um, Ratchet and Clank, where you have this very tiny sort of lombax mammalian character um, wielding these kind of cartoonish guns against these giant robotic or biotic mutant type creatures in a sort of circular arena and fighting them. and. What I never realized, even though i played those games time and time again, is that that is a kind of storytelling. That's a kind of, you know, here's an underdog, which you control, and you have to kind of be twitchy with the controls to dodge all of its projectiles and its attacks um, and sort of return attacks back. And that's kind of an underdog story of sorts. Mm-hmm. And additionally, yeah. you cor- collect a currency— just to spend that currency on buying more weapons and buying ammo. It's very much a underdog story, but an underdog story contextualized by capitalism. Yeah. And you play that out mm-hmm. through those mechanics. Yeah. And that as a story, I mean, Maynit is not unique as a story in terms of what, um, especially um, in gaming. Right. Yeah. Um. In terms of what Bogus would probably identify. But I also think that, uh, Acknowledging that as the kind of story and the way that that story is being told, and the fact that you have to kind of dig for that, right? Like, that's a very normalized thing that many of our games are trying to sort of inculcate, like Mm -hmm. that kind of one person overcoming it all, underdog, um, through thrift and spending, right? (laughs) You know, whether it be spending of in game currency or spending of your time, yeah, you know, maybe talking about the way that games have naturalized that to a point where we don't question it, Mm yeah, you know, narratives is happening. Mm -hmm. It's a question of, are those narratives good? (laughs) <laughs> yeah
1: the same thing happened in novels right i mean like this was a this was a trend the um alger um ratio alger stories right where those popular novels are all about like thrift and luck making you into a good american right mm-hmm. like the same thing happens in movies or tv shows like yeah i think it's just like it's like it's a base narrative that is understandable and i like the idea of kind of like picking it apart and what maybe what about games maybe in games it's different because it gets like coded you know it gets like hard coded in it's not on the surface, it's like this is how it
3: works, how the mechanics work, right? And that's why I that's why I think that Twine games, just in their very existence, are a great sort of rebuttal to Bogus' argument, where it's like you have to do some work. This thing that we all that we described at various levels as like kind of funny and sort of uncomfortable, of having to supply yourself and do work on the, at the beginning or or throughout the throughout the gameplay. Like, who am I? Why am I making this decision? Like, is this what I would do? Do I have a sense of, that the that the per, the character I'm controlling has a certain kinds of desires or drives? Do I want to do things in that way or not? Um, I mean, just just sort of, uh, you know, that that necess- that necessity to supply some of it is not going to be the same, or or it's going to be it, it's more foregrounded than it is in these. These vague films or novels that Bogost is gesturing towards.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think something else about Twine too. Just we should go back to the to the platform itself. Um, you know, because I mean, with even the sort of more traditional games, I guess that Bogost names, um, he's talking about things that have you know probably been pushed forward by like large gaming companies that have been made by by coders. Um, the stories and novel, you know, I mean, the novels he's talking about have been, you know, whatever like Random House publications or something, you know. Um, and the movies that he's talking about have been pushed forward by studios, you know, right. and all of these sort of like are are made by like behind the scenes, you know, like a, a large staff mm-hmm. of people or, or one author who's, you know, sort of like um, shut off from the community that they're engaging with. But these, you know, the Twine games are, I mean, on the one hand mostly played by the same community of people who's making them and on the other hand because it's an open source medium and because it's like a really low barrier um entryway to actually making the games yourself like i actually feel um like it it really does some demystification work about that process and I think that makes it significantly different mm. um, than even than even novels or films you know because mm-hmm. you can actually just be like oh like you know I mean like you can be like oh I want to make a film and you can go make a film like the chances that you're going to get it screened at Sundance are pretty much nothing yeah. you know right. but you can be like I want to go make a twine game and like the chances that other people who have made the twine games that are in this published book could look at it are pretty high you could tweet it to them and be like hey will you play my twine game and they'll be like okay sure yeah, you know exactly. right. um, and you could end up with a really cool twine game that like, you know, I mean, quote unquote famous, although not very famous, yeah. you know. Yeah.
3: Um, meaningful
2: to a, to me- a real yeah. community Yeah, of meaningful people. to a real community of people um, who have made Twine games that are meaningful to you, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. I just think there's like a lot more potential for, for dialogue because of the platform itself.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we tied that back really well. Okay, <laughs> good. Well, um, unless there's other thoughts.
2: Does anybody know why they're called Twine games? The, I, just the name of the platform, yeah. Twine. Which like is
3: it? I thought maybe it was because, like, like a like a story thread, uh, like a piece of twine.
2: That might be Could why be. The, the I don't know the platform was named Twine. Yeah.
3: Uh, we should just shout out real quick. Chris <laughs> Klimas made uh, Twine in 2009. I want to just the get platform, that in there. Yeah, the, the platform. platform. Yeah. yeah. I imagine other people have been intimately involved with developing it and helping it along, but I just wanted to get that that yeah. name in there real quick. Um, okay, so that's going to do it for our discussion of, of, uh, of our sort of, uh, of the objects for today, but before we, we go, we want to do a real quick question, and that question is, what's in your system? Uh, so this is just a little segment where we talk about what we're, we're playing, what we're reading, thinking about, talking about in relation to games, or just kind of broader media, um, I think is also totally relevant here. So um, does anyone want to start us off? Kyle, yeah, what's sure. in your system? I'm first in the show notes, so I guess I'll start. Yeah, oh, you are, sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm writing
1: a conference paper, so that's in my system. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, but in between conference papers, um, I've been playing a Total War Warhammer, if anyone... I think I've talked about this before. I'm yeah, probably a little bit. podcast. Yeah, uh, they just released a new uh, free LC, right? So um, as a, a playable race in the game. And Total War Warhammer is one of these really interesting games that probably mechanically is one of the best total war games, I think. I've played a lot of them. I'll probably get a lot of flack for that. Rome (laughs) 2 is also really good. Uh But uh, uh, I I think, you know, uh, Warhammer is really mechanically interesting. Um, But it was a game that was released with four playable races and a fifth playable race on the same day as release for DLC, right? Uh You had to spend, uh, you know, $8 to get uh, Uh, chaos at the start of the game. And so people are like, you had it. You could put it in the game. Yep. Why are you charging us an extra $8? Uh-huh. And they've also promised we're going to release, you know, two or three new races in the next year. And it kind of came out that they had been ready like months before they were oh. released and kind of all this nonsense about you're just clearly holding back these things right. to get more money, right? right. This is pure capitalist like mm-hmm. endeavor, right? And so they, they released the Bretonians, who is one of my favorite uh, races, as a free LC. I think it was planned, but – you know, they might have hurried it along just to kind of like appease people. Yeah, for uh, PR reasons. Yeah, and so I've just been thinking a lot about that. Is how this game, you know, has terrible ratings on uh, Steam. You uh-huh. know, it has like a, like a most like it's like uh you know mostly negative reviews and uh-huh. stuff because people just pissed. I think rightfully yeah. about the kind of DLC model that's so like mm-hmm. n- you know definitive to the industry now and so yeah. i think a lot about that and how i think it's a wonderful and excellent game but i also don't want to spend another hundred dollars to yeah. play the full game yeah. right so i don't know if maybe one episode we'll talk about dlc yeah. and what that means yeah, uh, like and how we're all going to tear down change. patriarchal capitalism yeah. with our demon genitalia yeah, but exactly. yeah so that's what i've been doing Hopefully.
0: cool cool by any chance are the bretonians a reference to andre breton
1: uh, no so uh Warhammer is a game is a like a tabletop miniature board game not board game tabletop miniature game that was made about 30 or 40 25 30 years ago um based loosely on like the world and so the bretonians are basically the French but in like the medieval era so from like Brittany right Got and it. so they have their like King Arthur narrative and they're based on like knights and they have like pegasi but uh also just it's not like the actual world because where America is are uh, the dark elves, where South America is are lizard people, where Mongolia is are ogres. So like <laughs> it's not a real world. I think there's something to be said too that like Americans are dark elves. I just want I didn't want to get into that. But yeah. uh yeah. So Bretonians
0: are the
3: Brittany people. They're based on knights okay. and chivalry. Cool. Cool. Tyrrell, what's in your system?
0: So I am also writing a number of papers right now. Oh okay. um, trying to find my way to a publication, yeah. <laughs> hopefully by the end of the summer. Um, what's on my system right now is thinking a lot about games in uh, education, and not so much about trying to bring games to the classroom, as much as thinking about the kind of game design elements that could inform good course design and good um, classroom practices. So the particular thing that hit me recently uh, in terms of... Um, uh, horizon zero dawn a game that I think we'll be juggling uh, around <laughs> ourselves for a little bit yeah uh, was the way that you fight one of the more difficult creatures in that game which is the storm bird the sort of giant mechanical bird that shoots lightning down the first time uh, I encountered it it killed me and I didn't even see it um, <laughs> two blasts of lightning and I was done mm-hmm. uh, but over time you get more powerful weapons you get the ability to sort of shoot grapple hooks into it and chain it to the ground. Uh, then you sort of have ways to sort of blast parts of it off so that you can sh- take away its ability to kind of shoot lightning. Uh, and eventually you kind of have to create a sort of science to yourself about, okay, this is how I'm going to take down this very difficult creature. And I'm wondering about taking that sort of process of, here are a bunch of tools to tackle a particularly difficult problem. And wondering if there's a way, particularly you know, since I'm teaching courses on writing, um, teaching that as an approach to this is how I tackle an assignment, right? These are the Mm -hmm. sort of internal strategies that I have to go through uh, to create a sort of plan to execute before I um, get into the ring with this particular creature. Uh, Similarly, sort of co-op options, you know, since we're all sort of addicted in terms of writing to the workshop model. um, And similar to like co-op, if you help a buddy out, you get sort of bonus experience points. We played Borderlands (laughs) 2 a few months ago and, (laughs) Some people got some bonus points. Other people were denied (laughs) bonus points. I'm I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. It's fine. Uh, It's fine. But maybe that should be a part of the workshop process. Like if you give somebody a really great assist, so to speak, on the paper, uh, that should add to the score that you get in your paper things like that. It's
3: rewarding a different kind of work that's like really important, but just like currently
2: because of this individualized model, not at all recognized. Yeah.
3: Uh, Max, what's in your system?
2: Um, sure. So I'm going to actually talk about a few Twine games that we didn't get the chance to talk about here. Perfect. Um, and I'm going to try not to recommend every Twine game i have <laughs> Just play all of them. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I would be remiss if I did not um, sort of shout out to Depression Quest, um, which is um, – for those of you listeners and podcast creators alike, uh, if you don't remember, is the sort of uh, centerpiece of Gamergate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it's just, it's a really complicated, really intense uh, playthrough. If you haven't actually sat down and played with it, um, I recommend it. And if you have Merit Copas's book now, you have a copy of Depression Quest um, at your fingertips. Um, and so that's a beautiful game. I actually use that game to teach my students Um and we just had some really fantastic discussions. Um, so I'll recommend that. Um, on a lighter note, um, I want to recommend uh, his name is Tom McHenry. Um, it makes this game called Horsemaster. Um, it's a hilarious game, uh, super fun really frustrating. I've never gotten more invested in raising a, like, giant, muscular, skeletal, creepy horse thing. Um, but giving it drugs, um, trying to... I would hope you haven't done yeah. it. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, it's. it was actually kind of unnerving how invested I was able to get in this, this sort of, like, textual horse raising. Uh-huh. Um, so that's, that's a great time. Um, and... Let's see if there's anything else I want to recommend. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- those are two great ones. Um, and then actually, it's uh, not a Twine game, um, but it is sort of similarly narratively driven. Um, I would recommend the game uh, Coming Out Simulator um, is is a really interesting playthrough. You're just sort of like reading someone's coming out story. He um, comes out to his parents as bisexual in high school, and you sort of like... Um, get to get to hear his own version of that story, and also see other available versions of that story that he presents to you. Um, and so, just in terms of, of games and narratives around identity, um, that's a great play. Cool, great. Horsemaster was
3: on my short list, and then I was mm-hmm. like, I'll just make it three because yeah. it sounded really, really good. Yeah, so. it's,
2: it's a hula- it's just a hilarious.
3: Okay, game. <laughs> yeah, awesome, great recommendations. Um, What's in your system, Derek? Thanks for setting me up, Kyle.
2: Uh, I,
3: I spent probably six weeks playing Zelda, Breath of the Wild, thanks to our, <laughs> our good my good friend and co-host Terrell Taylor for letting me, uh, you know, borrow that from him for a while. <laughs> um, it, was, it was such a fantastic. I, I, I started playing it like a couple days after a big conference that we'd put on here. Uh, well, episode four was uh, was, uh, during, was recorded during that weekend with some guests that uh, were there for that conference. But basically, it was just like a really, really lovely kind of wonderful world to just sort of go to and escape the constant news cycle for a little <laughs> while. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, this new iteration of Zelda, um, it is a sort of open world game, and there was a lot of skepticism. Or, I don't know, maybe there was a lot. I remember reading one piece of skepticism, like, Zelda, open world, that's weird. Like, that's, like they're always very – they have dungeons that are very linear – You know, it's generally by using items, they gate off different areas, and you can't go here or there. Um, But, man, they nailed it. It's just such a beautiful game uh, to move around in. And this is something we were talking about, maybe doing an episode about, but you can just kind of go anywhere. Like, Link just sort of climbs right up any surface. I mean, it'll rain occasionally, and that'll sort of take away your ability to move Totally unproblematically throughout the world, but you can just climb any surface, and there are all these yeah. wonderful like high points in in like every sort of area of the map, and you can just sort of jump off and like sail on a glider throughout the space, and you just get these really beautiful vistas. And man. that kind of
1: accessibility is not usual in Zelda
3: games. No, it's really not. No, and and really, I I mean, I know there are certainly games out there where you can just climb surfaces, but there's a real difference between. Skyrimming your way up a mountain and doing what happens in, in Breath of the Wild, where there's just like Skyrim feels like you're cheating yeah, your way like up a hill. Like you're taking your horse at like a yeah, ninety degree right. angle up a, right. up a mountain. Yeah, and in Zelda, it just feels like oh, this is I'm supposed. I'm, like the world I'm, is mine to access. I'm totally allowed yeah. to do it, and you know. Now that I think about it, now that we say it that way, I I think, okay, maybe there's some problematic stuff there. But I will say... Academics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you said. Um, But at the same time, it was just really a wonderful kind of enjoyable game to play, so... If you managed to, to pick up a Switch before yeah. they were all sold out, you can probably get Terrell's in like four weeks. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just send us an email. Yeah, yeah.
1: You can contact us at <laughs> ScholarsAtPlayPodcast
3: at gmail Just say I want Terrell Switch, and then we'll give it to you. Right. Yeah, and then we'll <laughs> Terrell shakes his head ever so gently to hold back the anger. Um, if you want to, if you want to get in touch with us uh, online, you can you can obviously send us an email there. Uh, Kyle, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at E underscore Kyle underscore Romero. Terrell, where can people get a hold of you?
0: Black Socrates, as always.
3: Yes, excellent. Uh, Max is sort of like ab- <laughs> abstaining from an online public presence, which is just like like a really good idea. Um, but if you do have some questions for Max, go ahead and send it to our, um, our, our, our podcast email. We'll make sure Max gets those. Max, uh, thanks so much for, for being on with us this time.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a great time.
3: <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Um I'm so you can find me at digital underscore Derek on Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, reach out to us if you have questions, things you think we we missed, twine games you think we should play, any any kind of stuff like that. Um, just a, a quick couple thanks. I wanted to give thanks to the I want to give thanks to. <laughs> Let's all bow our heads and give thanks to the Curb Center uh, for Art, Enterprise, and Public Policy at Vanderbilt University for providing the support to make this possible, Uh, the space, the time, all the equipment, and especially Jay Clayton. Uh, I wanted to thank Haystack Program for helping um, make this project possible as well. Um, I want to thank Visager for the use of his freely available song, The Plateau at Night, which is our intro and our outro song. Um, Coming up next for us, we're going to be taking a bit of a break here in July. Uh, A bunch of us are going to be sort of out of town for a little while, but we should have another episode up by the end of July. We're also going to be doing a a, a quick interview with um, the Vanderbilt Center for Teachings podcast, Leading Lines. We're really looking forward to that. Um, So we'll post a link to that on Twitter when that happens, and uh you know we're we're thinking about experimenting with taking this sort of what's in your system uh, segment and just breaking that off and making that a more regular thing. So I think we might we might try and experiment with that um, maybe even get a recording in before we all sort of go our separate ways for a while. but we might uh you might you might start seeing more things in your feed from us on a more regular basis we're not going to do away with this format we we, we really like doing this one uh, this is what sort of got us going and I think we should totally stick with it but it'd be cool to have a little maybe a shorter kind of a thing uh, more regular because yeah. so, we know what everyone wants is more
1: scholars at play more right? like that's the issue hashtag is content there's
3: not enough scholars at play Absolutely. So we're going to just inundate you with right. it right yeah just make you drown in it so um, again thank you so much uh, for listening and uh, yeah we will we will see you next time thanks guys thank you
0: thanks a lot be easy.